To turn again to the first reading that we had in the book of Psalms, and Psalm number 36. We read in verse 1, The transgression of the wicked saith within my heart that there is no fear of God before his eyes. For he flattereth himself in his own eyes until his iniquity be found to be hateful. He flattereth himself in his own eyes. I suppose that if we are those here tonight who have come to know the Lord savingly, that we often wonder why so many others have not come. And we think of the countless millions throughout the world who have not saving faith in Christ. Indeed, who many of them who have no idea even of their need. But we cannot say that here tonight. For everyone here this evening about the gospel preached many, many times in their ears. And everyone here this evening knows, at least intellectually, that the Bible teaches clearly the need you have to be saved. And unless that we are saved, that we are lost. And that is a heaven and that there is a hell. Why then, you here tonight, from the youngest to the oldest, why are you not saved? Why are you still not converted? Well, with your maybe limited knowledge of what you've heard over the years, some of you, well, you say, well, it's not my fault, surely, if I'm not amongst the elect. You've heard about election. You're not like the ignorant people who never come to church and know nothing about it. Not my fault if I'm not elect. But then, friend, who are the elect? And the elect ultimately are all who will come to the Lord Jesus Christ. The non-elect are all who won't come. And so if you are not coming tonight, that is up to you. And you cannot blame anything or anyone else. And we mustn't make any excuse of any understanding of election. Some others might say, well, I don't feel my need yet. I don't feel my need yet. I think some here will understand, maybe those of you here tonight who have come to know the Lord, you can remember days like that. And what presumption on our part 
to imagine that the day would come when we would feel our need. But if you are here tonight and you're saying, well, I don't feel my need yet, well, why do you think that tomorrow or next week or next month or next year will be any different? Those of you here who feel you don't need, feel your need yet, well, the way you live is showing that you're refusing to accept Christ as your saviour. And it's showing without question that you will, friend, continue in that road that will take you into a lost eternity. And if you die tonight saying, I didn't feel my need, you'll open your eyes in eternal torment. Make no mistake about that. How many not yet times have you had yourself? I don't feel my need. Not my fault if I'm not elect. Or something else that we hear is this. Some people say, well, if I'm going to be saved, I'm going to be saved in God's time. No point in me worrying about it now. Is that someone here tonight? I ask you, where do you find that in the Bible? Where is it that you find that in Scripture that gives support to that thought of yours? Friends, no one, no one falls into heaven as it were by chance doing nothing. But I tell you this on the authority of the word of God. Countless numbers fall into hell by doing nothing. So that excuse, if I'm going to be saved, I'm going to be saved, no point in worrying about it, is not an excuse at all that will bear scrutiny. And I would say to you that you really are a fool if you think, despite all that you've heard, that you'll get to glory by doing nothing. That somehow or other you'll get there. That somehow or other, maybe, as it were, hanging on to the coattails of a heaven-bound father or mother, wife or husband, or parent. Some or other, well, they're Christians, surely because of that, that I also will get into heaven. There are many ways, friend, that people make excuses. Many ways, some of you here tonight, I have no doubt, have been making excuses. Let's then look at some more and more detail how people delude, flatter themselves regarding being saved. Text tells us, verse 2, fully flattereth himself in his own eyes. Now I would suggest to you that's one way, especially. I would say that even amongst our own communities, there's the great danger of depending upon your own morality. Depending upon your own morality. And what you're doing then is you're weighing yourself up against others. 
and seeing yourself better. And you'll always find someone, as it were, that you can see I'm better than them. The word here, flatter, is the same idea, the words used about, about smoothness, smooth stones. Remember the stones they used to cast lots with in Scripture. It's that kind of idea. You're flat, you're smoothing things. You're making things easy, as it were, in your own mind. It's what we have in Isaiah 55. The words of his mouth were smoother than butter. Words. Like Judas. How smooth were his words when he came to betray the Lord? What Hail, Master. Oh, outwardly, he was acting as if he really regarded him as his master. A Judas can use these words. People who think so much of themselves. You think so much of yourself that you're flattering yourself. You would never do what you see some other people doing. You would never be found maybe openly breaking the Sabbath day. It would never be, if at all possible, that you wouldn't attend church on the Lord's Day. Never, like other people who don't. And even so many professing Christians, oh, you can easily find fault with them. And maybe you see them acting and doing and saying things that you would never do. And in that way, you're depending upon yourself. And as it were, your moral high ground. Could that be true of you here this evening? You're so moral. You're so upright. You are so much better than so many other people. My friend, the scripture says about you're just flattering yourself. Maybe some people here are saying, well, I'm really a Christian. Might not be a Christian the way that some people in the church here imagine it, but I'm really in my heart, I'm a Christian. And being a Christian, that's just between myself and God, and it has nothing at all to do with anyone else. I'm happy with my life as it is, and I believe that God will be happy with me. And so I don't need people's approval. I don't need to show it. And no one can find fault with me regarding church matters. Friend, beware of that kind of foolish thinking. It may please yourself. It may satisfy your own conscience for a time. And this can be true, friends, of you old and young people. The youngest here can think in that way. Remember what the Lord says to such people in the book of Revelation, what are you really? As he sees you, wretched, poor, miserable, blind, naked. You say, who me? Surely that can't be a description of me. I'm as good as anyone else. I am far better than many I can name. Maybe you're even saying, oh, if you knew that Christian and this Christian as I do, you would realize that I'm far more upright and moral than such. And you know, friend, in some ways, it may be true of you. It may be true, but that is so. Maybe you were here this morning, 
and you're thinking, well, I heard many criticisms of so-called Christianity this morning and Christians. I'm not like that. And you may be finding some comfort for yourself in that way. And sadly, as I said, you may be writing some things there, but that does not make you a Christian. That does not make you a believer. That does not save you when you're just weighing yourself up, meshing yourself up about others rather than about against the word of God. What we read there in Luke chapter 18, the parable of the Pharisee and the publican. Oh, I thank God I'm not as other men. There was a man depending upon his own morality. I don't do this and I do that. And I fear, friends, that some of you here may be like that, thinking in that way, thinking well of yourself when the words of your mouth are iniquity and deceit, as we have it in verse 3 there. You see, friends, such need to stamp out their pride and flattering of self. They have to stamp it underfoot. Because the reality is, whatever you think of yourself, in your mind, God is not in your thoughts as he should be. How can I say that? Well, if you are saying such things, if you are thinking such things, I'm not as other men, I'm better than others. That tells me everything, tells you everything. You should think about it in that way, of what you are before God. What is it? Because you are not seeing yourself as you should. You're not seeing yourself as Scripture describes you. And until you see your own need as the Bible describes the sinner, your own perceived morality is doing nothing but blinding you to your lost condition. And being in a lost condition is not lost in this world, but for eternity. What a fearful thing that a person can be in many ways upright. And the truth is, friends, there are many around us and we find it hard to find fault with our lives who are not Christians. And the truth is that many that we see and deal with at times, they are actually in many ways, as far as these things are concerned, are more upright and honest seem to be than maybe some people who profess to be Christians. But the reality is, our morality will never save us. However moral and upright we are in that way. Friends, we have to be honest with ourselves. And just because maybe others don't see some of the sins in your life, you know they are there. And you know deep down that they are there. But you, as it were, want to put a veneer over them by bringing up but my morale. Look at me, what I do and what I don't do. You know that it's there. You know there are things in your life and you'd be ashamed if people knew about them. You'd be ashamed if people knew your thoughts at times. Isn't that so? But friends, how we need to remember, and this goes for us all, 
but we need to remember at all times you may hide much from your fellow men by your outward morality, but you hide nothing from God. And God knows your heart. And God knows what is in there and what is not there. You are known in all your true colors, as it were, to God. He sees you. He knows you. So you need to realize, my dear friend, before it's too late, that all your morality is but as filthy rags before God. Now, of course, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with morality in itself. It would be a far better society if there were more moral people in it. Far better governments if there were more moral people governing over us. And if there was that morality, nothing wrong with it in and of itself. But you cannot and should not depend upon it for your salvation. Because that very morality, if that's all that you have, will hissing you to the very depths of hell itself. That's the reality, friends. Flat himself in his own eyes until his iniquity is found to be hateful. There are different ways of looking at that. But one day surely is this. You will continue to flatter yourself until you see your sin for what it is. And no one here who is a Christian tonight who hasn't discovered that. They had to come and see what sin was. Before they read, they all they might used to, some of us did. And I speak personally. Thought that my life was far better than many others. And in that way, flattering myself. And I'm sure you can follow that Christian here tonight. But then came the moment or the time when we saw what sin was. And the fearful thing that sin was. And we then saw that our own morality is as nothing. It'll get me nowhere but into the depths of hell if that's all that I have. So friends, let us not continue and do you not do to continue to flatter yourself depending on your own morality. But then secondly, others flatter themselves by thinking there's plenty time. There is plenty time. Now I have no doubt that that I believe particularly in our own communities where people maybe more than in many places, not all of course, but more than in many places, there's an understanding, a head knowledge at least, of the things that are spiritual in the sense of what God requires. And so because of that, well, God is merciful. But I believe that is one of Satan's favorite weapons amongst such as ourselves, church people. There is plenty time. And Satan will tell you, of course you believe in God. It's a fool who doesn't. Of course you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and that he died on the cross. Of course you believe that. Of course you believe in heaven, and of course you believe in hell, but there's time enough. 
You've got, especially younger ones, oh, there's time enough. I've got a life to live. I've got this to do and that to do. I've got to go here, there. I've got to get my work done, my study done. I've got to do all these things first. There's time enough for these things. And that's particularly how younger people think, but not just younger people. Plenty time, I'm still young. Are some of you here tonight who have reached middle age? You remember looking back? When you thought like that. And now you are middle-aged. And you were thinking, when I'm older, I'll get serious about it all and I need to be saved. Some of us can identify with that. And here you are now and you are older. And maybe even a very old person here tonight, beyond the allotted span, and you're still not saved. Plenty time. And you know, for some of you here, that the end of this, your time in this world is very near. When you look back on your life, you older men and women here, remember when you thought, plenty time. What has happened to that time? Your life has gone in a flash. Have you made use of the time? What's well, not that you don't want to get to heaven? Everybody wants to get to heaven. Who doesn't want to get to heaven? But who will get there? Only those who put their trust in Christ. Only those who believe. Those who cast themselves upon him, seeking mercy and forgiveness. Saying like read there in the public, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. You see, it is those who seek the Lord. It's not just those who hear about the Lord, as all here do, when you come to church from week to week, and from your, your mother's knee you heard. It's not just such, but those who seek the Lord. Those who put their trust in him. It's not for who will get to heaven or those who, who would like to, but do nothing about it. And if that's you tonight, if you have done nothing and doing nothing about truly seeking the Lord, young ones, middle-aged or older, whoever you are, you may be religious, but you're just flattering yourself. Or religious, look at the Pharisees. They were the most religious people, but they flattered themselves. Friends, some of you are doing the same. And the reality is you're running out of time. You're running out of time. You've only got to look at this congregation. Think about other nights. Think about it going back not for any few years. How many more double the size of this congregation? And yes, the Lord's people amongst them have gone. They weren't all the Lord's people. They ran out of time. They never imagined that it would be so, but they did. Hence, here is the cure of the doctor said to any of us here tonight. They said you need certain medicine to save your life and it's guaranteed to succeed if you begin now. What would you say? Would you not say when? How soon can I get it? You wouldn't say, well, 
I'll think about it next week. But you die, well, I'll just wait, just to wait and see next month how things work out. I've got this to do and I've got that to do. Of course you would. The Bible tells us now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation to be saved. This is the time. It is not plenty time, friends. None of us have plenty time. This is the time for us to seek the Lord. And if you refuse to seek him and you refuse to repent, oh, there's no rush. Ah, oh, my friend, you're flattering yourself for sure. You know what? That cemetery over the road is full of people who thought, plenty time. Plenty time. Some of them not very old. Plenty time. Friends, you might be also saying, God is merciful. God saves sinners through Christ. He's merciful to sinners like me, is he not? Yes, he is. Oh, he is. That's why you're still here tonight and not in hell. That he is long-suffering and merciful toward you. But make no mistake, my dear friend, not only is your life running out, his patience with you will be running out as well. Think about this. If the next funeral from this congregation, this building, is yours, and it could well be, young or old, where will your flattering yourself in your own eyes take you? When your body is carried out of here in a coffin, maybe across the road or somewhere else, you know where your body will be for a time, but where will your soul be? You who think you have plenty time. Friends, we should be trembling at the thought of what awaits us if we die without Christ. We shouldn't be flattening ourselves into thinking, oh, tomorrow will do. I'll do it later on. I say to you, young ones here, the youngest here, to the oldest, stop thinking plenty time. That's from the pit of hell, from Satan himself to you. You all know people who've had uh, maybe uh, we call accidents, and they've gone just like that. We all know people who maybe just through illness and heart attack or whatever, and they've gone just like that. They go to bed at night, and they never wake up. They begin a day, and they never end it. There'll be thousands, friends, thousands, today itself, who began the day, who got up in the morning, and they'll never see the end of the day. And many of them will have thought, well, even if they know anything at all, well, we'll deal with that later. So I suggest to you, friends, that people flatter themselves by thinking plenty time. And those others should flatter themselves in their own eyes, thirdly, by having a small view of sin. And you know what results in having a small view of sin? A small view of God. The two things go together. When you have a small view of sin, you cannot and do not see the greatness and the holiness 
of God. And when you think that your sin has been of not of any great consequence, you are belittling God and you are belittling his beloved son and the death of Christ on the cross. Oh, you say, but my sins are, I know I'm a sinner, but my sins are not that great. They're just little things. Our view of sin. I remember, and sadly at my age, I repeat things often. Maybe I've told you this before, but a dear old lady in one of my former congregations attended regularly till she was 90 years of age. Then she couldn't come anymore. Hardly ever missed. But then because of old age, she wasn't able to come out. She had never professed. I went to visit her one time, visit a few times, but this time I went to visit her and I challenged her. It wasn't easy and it never is when you get an older person like that. I challenged her a bit more about her soul, about what she believed in. She wasn't seeing very much. And I challenged her about sinning and the consequence of sin. And I was shocked. I wondered, did she ever hear anything when her answer was, oh, minister, sin. I haven't been outside the door here for the last year. That's how she saw sin. Is that how you see sin? Nothing to do with the death of Christ. Nothing to do with your own standing before God. Just something I haven't done, so it can't be bad. I haven't been outside the door. You see, so many think of bad sin, of real sin, deserving punishment, murder and theft and adultery and drunkenness and child abuse and all the rest of it. In other words, things that you never do. Is that how you think of sin? Is that why... You have a small view of sin and therefore a small view of God and his holiness. Things that you never do. But what does the scripture teach? Well, we all know, I'm sure, here tonight, our shorter catechism, how it sums it up so well. What is sin? Sin is any want of conformity unto a transgression of the law of God. Any want of conformity. There are two aspects to that in there. Not do what God commands. What does he command? All men everywhere to repent, for example. Are you? Have you repented of your sinful flattering of yourself? Of seeing sin for what it is? As nothing or of little consequence? The second aspect of that commandment, of that, of that catechism is in doing what God forbids. What does God forbid? Well, for one thing, and many things he forbids, one thing, thou shalt have no other gods before me. Oh, you see, well, I'm not guilty of that one. I'm not guilty of that one, having another god before God. Well, my friend, when you're living in unbelief and so thinking so much of yourself and thinking so much of your own goodness so that you're ignoring 
the clear teaching of the Bible regarding sin, then what are you doing but making yourself a god? Well, you say that's nonsense, is it? Let me ask you then, is all you do, as the Bible would have you do, having God as the priority in your life and seeking his glory, which is man's chief end? And if you haven't got God first in your life, you are making yourself God, a God. There is what you have to ask yourself. What's the priority in my life? You see, having this view of sin will always have you not seeing yourself for what you are. And you'll continue to flatter yourself. And when you sin and, and you know you have not only theft and murder and so on, does your mind turn to these things? Do you realize why Christ died? Do you have any fear or trembling at the thought of God seeing you? Or are you saying, as we have it in one of the Psalms, the Lord shall not see me? Are you grieved in your heart? Do you come to the place? Have you come to the place? And this is where you have to come to, to realize the sinfulness of sin, to save the Psalmist against thee, thee only, have I sinned. That's what you're going to see. That your sin has to do with God. And to sin that you're sinning against God. And every sin deserves the wrath and curse, deserves the wrath and curse of God. Or is it just with you? Well, sins really, I'm not a bad sinner. I'll just forget about some things and get on with my life. What's true of you? What we have at the end of verse one here. There is no fear of God before his eyes. Is that you, my friend? Well, it is, if that's how you see sin. Why is there no fear of God before your eyes? Because your view of sin is defective. You do not see or understand what sin is. You do not see or understand what it has to do with you and what it has to do with Christ's death. And you have never, friend, whatever you think, despite what you think of yourself tonight, you've never understood anything of the holiness of God and his hatred for sin. And you never understood, certainly, the consequences for you if you die in your sin. And when you think, friend, of some sins you commit being, well, they're really of no great consequence. And you leave them behind. It's as if you're spitting in the face of the Lord Jesus hanging on Calvary's cross. It's as if you're saying, well, his crucifixion is, as it were, is a no reaction by God. Again, you may bristle at that and say, well, that's nonsense. Well, my friend, prove it is nonsense for you. How can I prove it, you say, by repenting of your sin, by acknowledging what it is, and not to be flattering yourself into thinking, I'm not so bad. My sins are really nothing and small. 
Seeing your sin as a little thing is what you need to get rid of, repent of it, and acknowledge also this. When you see what sin is, one thing you'll acknowledge, and you ask any Christian here, and they've all come to this conclusion, my sins will cast me into a lost eternity, and I deserve it. That's what my sins deserve. Friend, except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. How do you see sin tonight? Friend, stop flattering yourself. Stop imagining that all is well with your soul. Convincing yourself all will work, well, will work out well for me at the end of my life. And in that way, you're easing your conscience. Smoothing it. Spurgeon said that your conscience, um, to smooth your conscience in this way is just to smooth your path to hell. What a thought that is. Some being in hell and are tonight who heard much, but they thought little of sin. And if they thought of sin, they thought, well, it's of no great consequence. And do you realize tonight, whoever you are here, if you're not a Christian, truly, you're already on the slippery slope. The slippery slope of flattery in your own eyes. And I tell you, my dear friend, and I say this genuinely and with no malice or hatred toward you, that road it has but one end, a lost eternity. The depths of hell itself. Then pray, pray before it's too late that you'll see your iniquity for what it is and become hateful to yourself. It is for you to seek the Lord. It is for you to acknowledge your sin. It is for you to stop flattering yourself. Matthew Henry said that sinners are self-destroyers by being self-flatterers. He says also Satan could not deceive them if they didn't first deceive themselves. Is that, I ask you tonight, a description of you? You are deceiving yourself by your so-called high ground of morality. And you're not seeing sin for what it deserves. And in that way, blinding you to the holiness of God and his just demands upon each and every one of us. Oh, friend, seek the Lord tonight. Seek him when you go home tonight. Go on your knees and cry to him, whatever you've done before. Cast aside your morality. Cast aside your church attendance. Cast aside, I'm better than this person and that person. Measure yourself, as it were, against the word of God. And I tell you, if you do so, you'll find yourself then on your knees and acknowledging your need of being saved from the lost eternity 
that your sins and your flattery deserves. Amen. Let us pray. We acknowledge, O Lord God, that we are in great need, and thou alone art able to meet that need. But we know also it is clear from thy word man's responsibility in these matters. None of us can make that excuse at the end of the day. I was not as sinful as others. When we will be seen then, if not now, that we were but flattering ourselves with our own sinful inclinations. Lord, save us, we pray thee. For Christ's sake, amen. <laughs>